Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggy O's. at you with another riff raff brief hiatus back are we in is this post corona mode i'm not sure if that's a word yet but hope everybody's doing great i'm doing great thank you for asking been busy just did a couple of gigs with robin ford this past weekend and man what a blast what a player hey maybe he'll be a guest real quick Hit me up on shaneterrio.com, revamp the website, uh, sign up, doesn't cost anything. If you want to be a Mojo VIP member, I've got some lessons, I've got all kinds of uh, exclusive content up there. Pretty cool site. Had a lot of people sign up so far. And um, as always, I appreciate your kind words on iTunes. Keep the podcast going. You can find me, Shane Terrio Music, Facebook, and also on Instagram. All right, enough of that yapping. Let's get to today's guest. guest today is Mr. Mark Farner, legendary singer, songwriter, guitar player for Grand Funk Railroad. Just a burning guitar player, singer. Listen to this. I mean, who was doing that in 1970? Not too many people. We'll talk about all this and more. I mean, Mark's done it all, man. He's you know, a living legend rock star, sold out Shea Stadium in 72 hours, faster than the Beatles. Um, got kicked off stage by the infamous Peter Grant, the manager for Led Zeppelin, because they blew Led Zeppelin off the stage in Ohio one night. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, at 70 years old, he still sings and plays his ass off. 
has a newly released DVD. It's been out a couple of months now called From Chile with Love. And we'll talk about all that. Some really great stories here, even for the hardcore fans. Maybe I snuck in a new one. I don't know. I asked him about the warehouse in New Orleans, a couple other questions. I wish we would have talked more Zappa. Zappa did produce a Grand Funk Railroad record. Uh, I just ran out of time, but thanks, Mark. Check out his website, markfarner.com. Check out the new DVD. Mark's just a class act and really enjoyed it. Let's get to it. All right. Well, I am uh, joined by the legendary Mark Farner. And Mark, I'm beyond thrilled, really excited to have you on my little my little podcast, Riff Raff. And hey, how are you today? We, it's you, my pleasure, Shane. <laughs> and I'm great. I'm proud to be sucking air. And um, I'm looking forward to, to going out and rocking, man. We got some dates coming in. The Fine. world needs that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> the world needs that. It's a year. Wow. It's a year since I did a, a, a real concert. That's for sure. And yeah, man. I can't believe it. I think I hope people come back recharged and super pumped and they're you know they're gonna they're gonna want to hear some live music and feel the energy oh, yeah. again. Yeah. Definitely. Well, look, I, you don't need an introduction. I'm gonna do that on the edit, but you don't need that anyway. Everybody knows uh, who you are, and uh, you know the great uh, the lineage of the you know all the great hits and everything you've done. But I have a couple of questions for you. Hopefully, I'm, I'm sure you've done a million interviews, Mark. But um, maybe I'll get one in there, one question that you haven't been asked before. But um, like I was a kid growing up in the in the 80s, you know, playing guitar and uh, my uncle taught me guitar originally and he would come over and we played American band. We played uh, some kind of wonderful. <laughs> and I remember him coming over after school and teaching me the twin lead on, well, what I thought was the twin lead on American band. And so, you know, yeah. I've been a fan of Grand Funk and yours for years, you know, when another generation but i've always appreciated your guitar playing and vocal ability you know thank so, you um, I appreciate yeah. the encouragement <laughs> yeah i wanted to know like you know when you when you started out playing i mean um i'm guessing i mean i've seen some other interviews with you but you know hendrix maybe um eric clapton but i mean something like um I come tumbling, man, that's just ripping guitar stuff. I mean, I had, like I said, Eddie Van Halen, these other guys that had sort of paved the way, but where does somebody in 1970 get that from? Where did that come from? Dude, It. I think it was on the axe because Stevie Marriott brought me that guitar when they came over to open for us at Shea Stadium in 1971, I think it was. Well, he had been there, you know, uh, prior to the gig for a long time. And I got that axe and I cut that entire album on a white, uh, they called it a TV model. And it's an SG with like. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, and dude, the headstock was busted off and they epoxied it. <laughs> they JB welded it back on. A little, a little off. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't that wasn't the uh, the Music Craft Messenger guitar that you're so famous for. No, that that was that uh, SG, and it was like 
from going going from that messenger to something of this nature was like playing greased lightning. You know, yeah. it's like right. yeah, it, it fit my hand. But I mean, stylistically, like, how did you come up with that? Like, what were you listening to before? You know, you you got together with the guys and formed Grand Funk. I mean, what was your what was your baby food? What did you grow up on? Uh, because it, I know that Hendrix was around, but just the rhythmic thing you were doing at that time and the kind of the high, you know, it was just so funky, but it was a really high tempo too. And the tone, I mean, the only person I heard do something like that was maybe Alvin Lee, you know, gone home or something. But it's just fascinating to me. Like, what did you have to pull from in 1970, man? That was pretty groundbreaking. Well, I really, I was pulling from internal, whatever was driving me. And when I plugged that SG in, because of the nature of it to want to hang on as long as you got a grip on it, you know, it wants to hang in there. And it's not like a single coil where you got the clarity of each individual string. You got the harmonic resonance of all of these strings that are just blam, just biting, you know, and, and I'm going, damn, this thing is pretty nice. And I, I did, I came up with a few, you know, because they're, it's their licks that, that sounded cool on that guitar. I turned them yeah. into songs, man. Yeah. So, it's got an, it's got a cool sort of phasey out of phasey sound to it. little quack to it, you know? Yeah. yeah that tone on that. And, uh, but yeah. And, um, when you when you stepped into the I know you weren't the original lead singer, but when you stepped into that chair, I mean, obviously you must have been singing before. But how did you did you know that you had a gift because your range and everything was that something that was already there? Or did you just sort of step in and make well, it happen? What happened was I was in the school choir. I liked I enjoyed singing. I, I liked doing those kind of concerts because I loved hearing all those other voices around me, dude, that, that was really music to my soul. And I was a tenor in the, in the choir. So, um, I'd go and I'd sing these other songs with the, the, the band, like when I was 15 years old, my sister was in high school and I went and hung out with her and her friends. She was 17 months older than me, and I'll oh. never let her forget it either. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these guys would, you know, play, and and they'd all be playing like Walk, Don't Run, and they'd be playing Wipeout and all this, and, and not much singing, just all playing. I mean, no singing. And then I'm over there singing, and they go, you sing? And I go, I can, I can sing, you know, some of that stuff. Well, what can you sing? I'm so, well, you know, Johnny Be Good, Nadine. I love singing Nadine. I love singing and playing Nadine. There's just something about it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, when, I, when I first started, um, I would stand there with my guitar on it, which was a Harmony guitar that my mother bought out of Finger Hut catalog it was like a, you know, green stamp deal <laughs> and she got a matching amp with an eight inch speaker, brother. Eight oh man, speaker. deluxe, the oh, deluxe yeah. model. <laughs> <laughs> but my cord went back and like over the handle and over the back of the amp, but the, I had the little light on, people thought it was on and I didn't plug in yet because I couldn't play. 
I was just learning from these guys, but I would sing in their band and they'd go play wedding receptions and stuff. And I would sing, you know, finally I got good enough to where plugged it in. And you you already knew you had it. Yeah. You had the, I, but, but I'll tell you something, Shane, the, the thing that I was having a, a problem, real trouble with was singing a melody of course, it had a rhythmic line to it and playing something totally different. Oh, the coordination. Yeah. I was, I was struggling with that. And I, I was telling my uncle Woody and he said, well, I'm, I got the fix for that. He said, sit down over there across the table from me across his dining room table. And they had a glass top on it. And he took a newspaper and he, turned it around so it's upside down and backwards to me. He says, now just read the large print. Uh, He says, I know it's upside down and backwards, but do that. Force yourself to read that large print. So I I read, I got, and I started getting the hang of it, turned the page. He went off in the other room. He told me to do the whole paper. said, when you you do that whole paper, he says, then we're going to try something. So I did the whole paper. And I, in fact, I did it twice, dude. I want to make sure <laughs> I was getting pretty damn good at it. Uh, and he says, now that has, you know, it used both your right and left uh, hemisphere. Right. You forced yourself to do that. That is the exercise for doing what you need to do. Take that guitar and, and, and do what you couldn't do before. And I started playing Chuck Berry and stuff. And I was I was on, dude. I you was synced up. Huh? I was set. Free. How did he know that? That's I have never heard that before. Free. I, I don't know, but it worked, dude. It worked, and it has worked for other people who have heard me tell the story about Uncle Woody's magic. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to go out and buy a paper right after we're done. Because <laughs> I've heard, I've heard like guys like Sting. He can't. I don't know if this is true now, but I'm sure Sting's a great musician. He could do it. But he did say at one point that it was hard for him to just play bass or I'm sorry, just, just to sing without playing a bass line at the same time. Ah, like, so it's kind of the, you know, I guess from early on it was welded together that way. But, uh, yeah, but you know, man, I, I love your voice. I've, I've been checking out over the last week. I've been checking out some old grand funk and, and even some of the new things, uh, a couple of clips from your, uh, new DVD, um, that your publicist sent me that we'll talk about the live in Chile, well, but man, you're still killing it. I mean, the range, everything is still there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got to ask you just a couple more vocal questions, but did you do any sort of, when I see like Shea Stadium, the Grand Funk, that famous concert, and the range you had, I mean, how were you singing over those loud amps back then? There were no good monitors, no in ears. How did you get your pitch that dead on? It's amazing to me. It, uh, I was singing to front of house, dude. <laughs> you know, seriously, <laughs> That's that I could hear that, and uh, Shea Stadium, particularly because it was shaped like a half circle. You know, there's 55,000 seats there in a half circle. Dude, the focus point of that half circle is second base, right where that stage was set up. And it was like, oh my God, are these people, is this really this loud? Holy shit. (laughs) It was, wow. It was uh, amazing, especially when they started singing together on 
closer to home started singing the the refrain wow oh, man yeah ooh, ooh, that's dude. powerful that had to be i mean you can feel that just just watching that clip from 50 years ago on, yeah. on youtube you can feel that energy you know yes yeah, sir I mean, let's just briefly talk a little bit about, um, if it's okay, uh, I mean, for those of you that, that don't know, I'm, I'm sure most of your, all of your fans know this, but maybe there's a few new fans, younger people, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but Shea Stadium, Grand Funk sold that out faster than the Beatles, right? It was like, didn't it take the Beatles seven days? It took you guys like a day or two days or something? It took us 71 hours. 71 hours. Yes. And, and also... You kind of blew Led Zeppelin, a little band called Led Zeppelin, out off of the stage, and <laughs> Peter Grant was so the infamous Peter Grant was so mad. He, but yeah, I mean, could you just tell? I know you've told this a million times, but could you just tell a little bit what you remember about those? Yeah, those nights. The the night before we played Cleveland Auditorium, and that was the opening date of this tour, and. They love us in Cleveland. This is a rock and roll town. Yeah. So, dude, when uh, we did Inside Looking Out, forget about it. There, Nobody could touch us at that point in our career. When we did Inside Looking Out, there was a chug to our locomotive that was deep. It was It set the groove. It really set the groove. And so the following night at Olympia in Detroit, we're fixing to go into inside looking out. And that's when the show stopped. They pulled the plug on us. Uh, Peter Grant told Terry that he was pulling the plug on us. And he said, you get that <laughs> microphone and, and you tell the audience what's going on. He says, you tell them what you want to tell them, but don't, don't you tell them, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. and he's like this huge intim intimidating yeah. guy. Yeah. And Terry comes out and he's got a microphone. He walks out and he says, due to contact contractual uh, obligation, Grand Funk has got to leave the stage and all these bottles, wine bottles, whiskey Whoa. bottles, beer bottles come flying up. No, no. <laughs> oh my God. It was it was not good. And uh, like an hour and a half later, Led Zeppelin took the stage to less than half a house. Amazing. And, but that was a great opportunity for Melvin and I to go out and set center house just back 
a little ways from the audience and and we watched Led Zeppelin for a few songs. It was it was a great shot. It was a great seat there. <laughs> and then I'm sure you you guys probably got fired off that tour maybe, but who cares? That sort of publicity was like, you know, yeah. You upstaged them, you know, which was not a I don't think there's any other band that could ever do that. Yeah. You know. Well, the that was our last date with them. Yeah. And then then um the thing about uh Zeppelin and anybody that's from uh say the English band, Australian band, uh, they all sing in American English. They don't sing in the King's English. Right. And I always point out to them, I don't sing in the King's English when I come to England. I sing in rock and roll English, which is U.S. American English, and the world knows it. And so they have to. They have to. And I tell all the U.S. musicians, thank God we don't have to fake the accent, brother. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Just saying, this this is where it started. This It's our love for each other. It's our community that made rock and roll what the hell it is today. Right. It was all that stuff that we thought of in our hearts and put in our songs and all the goodwill, all that Motown music, all that dance stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, up from your part of the woods, there's so much great music that came from there. I mean, it's really all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of great music. What can you tell me about your your uh, Atlanta Pop Festival? I know I read that your your U-Haul broke down on the way to. I mean, I can't, that's amazing that you're driving yourself with a U-Haul trailer on the way to play this legendary festival that yeah. kind of put, you know, was was a was sort of a groundbreaking moment for you, your band, right? Wasn't oh, absolutely. It? The uh, Our friend loaned us his van. He had a window van, and he loaned us his driver to, to go down to Atlanta. And we, we rented the U-Haul, put all our stuff in there, and we headed out. And this it was dark when we left uh, Flint, you know. So we're going south, and it was before I-75 was finished. There was a lot of side roads that you had to take, and then it would you'd continue on the e-way. But uh, I was sleeping shotgun over there, and everybody's like in the back of the van, laid out on the top of the organ and stuff, you know. And I look up as I wake up. I look up, and the, the sign says I-75 to the right there. And I said, Jimmy, I-75 goes to the right. And he just cranks it right there. And I went, oh, my God, dude. And it flipped that U-Haul trailer so bad down through the ditch. Oh, and the safety chains, they're not, uh, they don't work. <laughs> they didn't on that one anyways. And thank God it would have dragged our ass down in there. But yeah. we ended up taking all the equipment out of the trailer writing the trailer, put all the equipment back in. And, and this is without taking it out of the cases or anything. It was in cases. Uh, but when we got to Atlanta, the we saw that the transformers had ripped off the chassis of these amplifiers and uh, circuit boards had some of the traces were just it just severed, you know, and that's what UPS just did to my old basement uh, two weeks ago. Actually. Is that right? 
<laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But, but back then, when we got to the festival, all the roadies from every band that was there saw that we needed help. And they came over and people were soldering our amps back together, wow. duct taping the transformers back on. It was amazing. I, I like telling that story because back then we really did have a better music community and the love that we had for each other reached out into the audience. Uh, there was none of this uh, competition or anything. We were just all there to give them our flavor of music. Somebody's got another flavor following us up and they are going to knock your ass alive, you know? Right. Uh, that was the attitude. And, that needs to come back, man. That's that's the love that's missing, man. Uh, this hate that snuck in there. That somebody fed that to somebody, and they they fell for it and ate that shit. It's uh, it's not our natural inclination. It really right. isn't. Why do you think that is? I wonder. It's just that it's well, permeated I, everything besides music. <laughs> it's maybe yeah. another tangent here, but well, you know. yeah. Right now. Since 1996, actually, the the deregulation of the FCC, it is not the people who choose the music that they will listen to. It is somebody who is screening the music that they will listen to and will not play anything that is close to being politically oriented or having something... Uh, an, an opinion that might be opposite of theirs. Right. It's such bullshit, total bullshit. The radio went in the shitter. It shortened yeah. it. <laughs> it shortened yeah. it. But uh, every audience that I mentioned this to, they overwhelmingly agree, very loudly agree when I mention these facts. Because a lot of the audience is as old as I am, you know, and we lived through this time. Right. I lived from a time when we didn't have a television. All we had was a radio and we, my aunt's six kids and my mom's six kids and all of the neighbors would be in front of that radio looking at a, you know, a speaker on a wooden radio and eating popcorn from a grocery bag, you know, a big paper grocery bag. And right. listening to Lone Ranger and Flash Gordon and the Creaking Door and all and all this uh, um, stuff that really stimulated your imagination, but now uh, we've gone through the music that stimulated our imagination into these videos that stagnate our imagination, yeah. and they encapsulate the meaning of the song into one video presentation, whereby uh, they ruin it our imagination is it's just like when somebody reads a book and then they go see the movie they go that movie sucked man that right the book's always better sure because our imagination is making the movie in our mind when we're Mm -hmm. reading the words and that's what we need to get back to we need Mm -hmm. to stimulate our imaginations and and send this population on to a higher uh frequency you know we need to live yeah, right than where mm-hmm. we're at right well mark let me ask speaking of imagination a song called loneliness i mean how old were you when you wrote that 20 years old 21 years old 
yeah, 20. That's one of my favorite songs. And I think it's probably a lot of your fans, you know, from the, from the grand funk days. I mean, how does somebody 20 years old write something so iconic that 50 years later still resonates with such a, of all ages. I mean, the chord changes are amazing in that song and, and I believe it's got some orchestration to it, but, uh, you know, how do you, how do you come up with something like that at 20 years old? <laughs> I mean, you well, know, there's no context at 20 years old. I don't, I don't get it. You know, the, the song, the basic skeleton, you know, the, the uh, rhythm and the chord changes and the, the basic song I was playing, uh, for Tommy Baker, who had done all of the orchestration on Closer to Home. Tommy Baker was the band leader on the Upbeat show in Cleveland, Ohio, Channel 5. Oh. Oh. And uh, and we uh, we knew that uh, he was a great player and everything. I mean, uh, one time James Brown fired one of his guys on the spot. That was a horn player. And he asked Tommy, he says, can you read that chart? And Tommy went over there and blew the, the horn part, man, for James Brown for this TV appearance. And, <laughs> and he impressed the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. And so when he spoke to me, I listened like I dumbo ears. I got the I'm listening deep for this guy. Right. Yeah. He says, man, when you when you get to that refrain, just keep going over and over. He says, I'm hearing stuff, man. He says, oh, man, fire on. this is going to be great, man. This is going to be, I see, I'm hearing the French horn. I'm hearing the, he says, yeah, do that again. And I, and he, so when we got in for I'm Your Captain Closer to Home, we just stretched that thing out. But when I started playing this uh, loneliness song for him, he, he sat there and he, he had tears coming down his face. Mm. He said, dude, I'm hearing things for this song. He says, can we do another orchestration? I said, as far as I'm concerned, yes, man. Uh, You know, because that last one was, and you know, it it just grabbed your attention and and, uh, it lifted you and took you through some changes. And that's what he does. Tommy Baker, God bless him. I don't, I've been trying to find him. I don't know if he's dead or alive. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. But uh, I always give him uh, the credit for doing that because it was him. And it was his musical genius that came up with all the orchestration and all that parts. But he he loved me like a brother. Hmm. I, I was like a little brother to him. And he always come over and really, you know, give me the love when I would see him. He was a real dude, a real dude and talented. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So did you guys pull from like local when you cut the first couple of grand funk albums that, that was all done in around Flint or did you go to LA or New York and record that Cleveland recording and Cleveland. we on an eight track Scully dude. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> eight tracks. Yeah. And all that music on eight tracks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who, who could pull that off today. I, mean, I know, dude. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. Talk about commitment. You got to commit to a part quick, and that's it. Yeah. Live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, do you remember playing at the warehouse in New Orleans? I'm from New Orleans, and I, and yeah. I have a house that's not far from where the warehouse once stood, which it was torn down in the 80s, but there's a little monument to it. And I knew the guy that had started it as a college kid. He passed away. His name was Bill Johnson. But um, 
he somebody did a whole database of every band that played there. And for the listeners, the warehouse was like this great. I wasn't around, but my uncle saw you guys play there, uh-huh. and I was just wondering if you had a uh, couple stories about the warehouse. If you remember that time, yes, the warehouse. You know, it's just like any country that you go to. It's it's the people that are going to impress you. And that you're going to like it or you're going to be questioning or, you know, it's always the people. So at the warehouse, those are some of the most beautiful people we ever ran into any place. Wow. Love was large at the warehouse. Dude, we're playing. You know, they would set these huge uh, diesel driven air conditioners outside on the streets and then they had these huge, like six foot uh, in uh, diameter hoses that would blow all this cold air in there. Well, they had one over the top of the stage. Brewers in the middle of the drum solo for TNUC. And and one of the ties broke loose on this thing. And it, it flops around like a snake. You know? <laughs> And it's throwing all of this condensation out and it hit Brewer and it stopped. It just froze him up. We had to go over and peel him off that drum throne, dude, and take him. We carried his ass up the stairs into the dressing room, warming him up, taking hair dryers to him and stuff just because he went into uh, his body went into shock. Shocked he, was, him, yeah. he was completely wow. locked up, and and then, and somehow, I guess it was our youth. We pulled out of it and went back and finished the set. <laughs> I've only seen photos of that. I mean, I, my my uncle, like I said, he he was he's a big fan of yours, and uh, he saw you guys there at least once. He was there when ZZ Top recorded Fandango, the live version of that record. And I talked to Billy Gibbons about it. Uh, and Billy said they used to hang out in the rafters, he, him and Dwayne Allman, and talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. And Allman Brothers were like an unofficial house band there, too. So I don't know. It's just amazing that all that history went down. And yeah, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall back then. But um, I, I read somewhere that this guy uh, met you at the warehouse and um, went back to wherever he was from in Louisiana and some kind of way found your phone number and called you up. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but it's, uh, I imagine people would try to chase you down all the time back then. We yeah. had, uh, we had some, some fellas that brought us a cooler full of crawdads, <laughs> potatoes and corn on the cob. Yeah. And it was hot, dude. They said, this is for your trip. They put it up on the tour bus, man. We flipped that thing open and all this steam came out. I went, what is this? And we started, <laughs> yeah, biting heads and sucking and all the way to Michigan. We ate that stuff all the way to Michigan. Those boys blessed us. Amazing. Yeah, what a what a trip. Wow. <laughs> I love to, to, you know, remember someplace because of the great food that you ate there, you know, that's, that's a great way to
to remember places, you know. Oh yeah, well that place is one of the one of the places that everybody always goes. Oh yeah, I remember oh, yeah. Billy Gibbons. Is is a is Cosimento's Oyster Bar still open? Oh yeah, it's still open. <laughs> it's always a food reference, you know. So oh, yeah, uh, man, some of the best. That's 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 so great to hear that. <laughs> I wish that place was still around, but um. Yeah, man. <laughs> talked about this in other interviews but when you wrote uh, i'm your captain is it true that you uh i know it's true because you said it but could you talk about how you you said you prayed to for guidance to to be able to write a song for inspiration i mean i was just wondering i was curious about that yeah that song came to you my prayer was dear god because I, I already said my now I lay me down to sleep and that, you know, I blessed all the family and uncles and aunts and all the distant relatives mm-hmm. that I could remember. And, and I put a PS on and I asked God, would you please give me a song that would reach and touch the hearts of those you want to get to? Then I, I went to sleep, but I, I woke up in the middle of the night, probably 3 a.m., about. And uh, I wrote, I'm your captain. I was in between uh, conscious and sleep. I was in a very strange and wonderful place to exist uh, while you're in the receive mode. So I wrote and I, I could not read the words that I was writing. I didn't want to take time to start all over. I just, I just listened for the next words. I didn't, I didn't read anything until the following morning. And I had gotten up and, you know, got my coffee going. I'm looking at the horses out in the pasture and I'm going to sit there and play my acoustic guitar a little bit. I had a nice George Washburn acoustic and I picked it up and I started playing that. Oh, that was pretty cool. Lick. And then I hit that inversion of that C chord where you you hang on to the, the E and the B string, you know, with your, your pinky and the ring finger, and then you reach over and just strike. That It hit a, a chime, and there was mm-hmm. such uh, harmonics from it that it was beautiful to my ears. Man, I'm looking mm-hmm. at it. I said, holy shit, I can't forget this chord right here, man. I'm looking at it. And as I'm looking at that chord and – and just kind of getting into the beauty of the, that nature of that tone out of that acoustic instrument, man, it was like really 
it spoke to me. <laughs> and I'm looking at that chord and I went, oh, the words, maybe that is a song. I went and got them, put them on a table. I didn't change anything. And I, I went with the words. I sang, you know, like three verses and go into the bridge. Am I in my cabin dreaming? You know, and coming back out of it uh, into the last verse and then into into the refrains where the orchestra can open up and Tommy Baker can enlighten your mind. <laughs> <laughs> what a song. I mean, wow. If you if you just wrote one song in your whole life, that's every time I hear that on the radio and it's still played on the radio, I'll you know, I just stop and I go, Wow. I mean, that whole outro and everything. Great, beautiful. Thank yeah. you, brother Shane. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely. I, I use yeah. that. That's good encouragement. <laughs> I don't think you need encouragement from me, but for whatever it's worth. Everybody, listen to me and return me my ship. I'm your captain. I'm your captain. Though I'm feeling mighty sick I've been lost now, days uncounted And it's months since I've seen The MusicCraft Messenger guitar, I'm curious, is that, the, you still have it on the stand there behind you? Is that the actual one? Yep, that's it. Wow. What made you what made you decide on that guitar cuz you're pretty pretty much the only guy I've ever seen play one of those. It was the price, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good motivator. <laughs> but but the, the the unique part about the Messenger is it retains the same neck diameter all the way up to the last fret you hit wood right there there's no adjusting your hand to adapt to a fatter uh neck body configuration you know the way we have to on a cutaway yeah uh yeah on that guitar it doesn't exist and man you can it, it stayed in tune you could get yeah. above that 12th fret and play it and it just stayed great Hey, did you stuff it with anything? Because the feedback. I did. I stuffed okay. it with uh, foam, and then I put masking tape over it, and I got some psychedelic glow-in-the-dark paint. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Were you? What were you using back then for, um, like, a fuzz pedal or something? Was it? Were you just cranking the amps up to get that nasty distortion back then? I mean, I know there weren't a lot of stomp boxes back then. Dude, my, the model of Messenger that I had had a built-in fuzz tone on a toggle. It was a toggle switch behind your controls for your tone and volume for your pickups. The, it was a set of uh, two knobs uh, for gain and volume, and then you're on and off. So you could get it anywhere on stage. I didn't have to run back to my station to stomp a box. Dude, I had it. That was a nice right feature. That was a wow. really nice feature. Because <laughs> I could be way the hell over on the right side of the stage, and it's my turn to play lead, and I just reached down and start playing lead. Man, It was like I didn't have to run back. I could waltz back. 
<laughs> Are, were you using a um on the end of um american band at, after the twin lead part where you're just playing at doodly of the the real fast um pentatonic lick is that a phaser pedal or something you kicked on it's real subtle but it's i always wonder what that was yes it is it's a phaser oh interesting now i know mystery solved <laughs> Well, look, Mark, I, I, I want to wrap it up, but I want to talk about your uh, your new DVD. Tell me what you got going on. And I know fans in South America must have been just going crazy because they're some of the best music fans in the world anywhere. And Absolutely. I saw some of the clips that uh, Melissa sent over. It looks amazing. Tell, tell us about that. Well, we were doing, uh, you know, South American run, and one of the promoters uh, from Chile um, – uh, from Santiago, uh, Carlos Pastine called m- my manager, Abby Steinman, and he says, listen, man, he's, there's a company here, uh, Abysmo Films, that want to um, do a video on Mark. They, they would do a eight-camera, you know, live shoot and do a real good job, and they would do it on a bargain price just for the recognition you know, of being able to do this kind of stuff. Right. And uh, Abby, you know, talked to uh, Carlos back and forth uh, because it was Carlos uh, uh, that owns the Abismo too. There's a couple of Carloses involved. But the guy is super creative. His people are super humble, talented. And this is the first time that I've ever done a live you know, with cameramen on the stage, and I didn't run into one. This is first. <laughs> they, were, first. they weren't, they were, yeah, they weren't obtrusive. Yeah. They were letting you do your thing, but they yeah, were capturing everything. Exactly, man. And they weren't trying to like get right up there and get that far away from your strings. And, you know, it, they were very courteous. And the audience, my goodness, uh, 16 audio, uh, you know, performance tracks. And you will hear the audience singing my songs in American English, my Hispanic brothers and sisters, the Chilean people, the, the lovely people that show up and rock uh, loud. They are loud in every microphone. Yeah. And, and uh, you definitely feel the spirit of these yeah. people. Besides those uh, performance tracks, we got two bonus videos that are single videos one is rock and roll soul which is available right now from markfarner.com for a free download wow people that want to get a sample of this live dvd from chile with love and it is taken from this performance and uh and it's done very americana but it's done in chile and when you look at this you you'd say man this is in California, are you kidding me? This is, you know, this is United States. It's very, very good. And these guys did a wonderful job. There's five bonus tracks on the DVD as well of audio that's never been uh, released like this before. So for fourteen ninety nine, such a deal. Bargain price. <laughs> and I mean, that's my wife Lisa and I give three dollars from each DVD to Veterans Support Foundation. And Veterans Support Foundation helps our veterans that are returning from war that uh, need to to be 
readjusted uh, to society. And maybe if they need somebody to stand and and uh, before the veterans uh, board and get their money, I mean, somebody who is going to advocate for them, this is what these people do. And they do it because they are veterans uh, of veterans, by veterans, for veterans, and they they are wonderful people. I've been working with these same folks since the 70s. They are for real. And uh, thank all the people, because if you buy pre-sale, you will get an autograph DVD. I'm, I'm wow. autographing every pre-sale. And you will be helping us uh, by donating us, Lisa and I, donating that $3 from every DVD. Uh, thank you, good people, for buying so that we can help our brothers and sisters who really, uh, they risk their safety to ensure that ours is sound. Wow. That's really generous. $3. That's, that's what, 20% of your sales you're donating. That's really. Well, you know. we, we, that's how much we believe. And if anybody listening knows of a veteran that could use some help or knows of veterans, uh, that need help, uh, if I could give an 800 number, I'd, I'd absolutely do whatever you would like, Mark. Yeah, yeah. It's veterans support foundation. It's 800-882-1316. It's toll free. 800-882-1316. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. I, brother. We, I would, I would talk to you all day, but I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. I like it. I was, I was looking at a uh, NSG, Mark, that this guy wants to sell me. It's funny you said that. <laughs> Is that right? I never owned one. Yeah, I got it right there on, on the bed. I was like, oh, we'll let you know tonight. Yeah. Is, what year is it? It's an early 90s one. I'll show you real quick. Yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Early 90s one, but it's got the old yes. kind of aesthetic thing to That's it. Exactly, uh, well, what I played that whole album with E Pluribus Funk guitar, guitar like that. Yep. Wow. Well, maybe uh, that's white. an omen that I should, uh, maybe that's telling me something there that I need to get that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, thanks, brother. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Mark, for joining me. And My enjoy pleasure. the, hope to see you out there rocking soon. All right, brother Shane. God bless you, buddy. Take care. Thanks. I don't see you in the future. I'll see you in the pasture. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Thanks again to Mark. Check out from Chile with love. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. Once again, hit me up. Facebook, Shane Terrio Music, Instagram. And visit my website, shaneterrio.com. Thanks for listening to Riff Raff. See you next time.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.